This is The Guardian. Before we start today's episode, you'll have probably seen the news that the Chancellor Rishi Sunak and the Health Secretary Sajid Javid have resigned from government. That hadn't happened at the time we recorded this and we will, of course, be bringing you an episode on that tomorrow. In the meantime, you can follow all the updates at theguardian.com. But for today, Bangladesh is going through the worst flooding it's had in over a century. We hear about the people who are trying to keep their country afloat. When the water started to rise, Rita Actor was inside her home. It's a two-room structure made of sheets of tin. Rita's eight months pregnant, and she was trying to get some rest when she heard the shouting coming from outside. Her neighbours were panicking that any second they could be washed away. She described how she stumbled out of bed to find herself waist-deep in water. And of course, due to her condition, she could barely move. Um, And within 10 minutes, the water had already reached her neck. Thuslima Begum has been speaking to Rita as part of her reporting on the flooding in Bangladesh. More than 100 people have died and hundreds of thousands have had to evacuate their homes. But luckily, a volunteer was able to help her out and bring her outside of her house. But by the time they looked back, the house was completely submerged, along with all of Rita's possessions. In the blink of an eye, she had lost everything. And how did she sound when you spoke to her? She sounded awful. I mean, she's um, now developed a skin disease. She doesn't have access to medication. People can, right now, they can still not access the hospitals. There's a lack of midwives available. So she's literally relying on aid. In Silet, where Rita lives, and in northeastern India, which has also been badly affected in these floods, people are used to monsoon season. They prepare for it. But as the years pass, the rain is becoming heavier after longer periods of drought, and the country's flood defences can't cope. This is the reality of living in a climate crisis. I mean, this is quite literally the worst flooding the country has seen in over 120 years. One aid agency has described it as the worst flooding to hit South Asia in living memory. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, the devastating floods that are forcing people to become climate refugees. Taslima, you've been reporting on the flooding that's devastating Bangladesh and parts of India right now. For people who haven't seen the images and the video that showed just how terrible it is, can you give us a primer? When did this start and how bad has it now become? So um, Bangladesh is based in the Bay of Bengal. Um, It's a densely populated delta nation. And... As a result of where it's situated, it naturally is vulnerable 
to various um, climate calamities. So it's not just flooding. Every year we see cyclones and the torrential rain right now that we're seeing um, has essentially caused rivers in Bangladesh to overflow. So the rain is adding to the existing rivers. So to put that in numbers, Silet usually gets around 840 millimetres of rain in June. And um, last month, it has received nearly double that. Gosh, so yeah, people just couldn't possibly be prepared for that. And which areas are worst affected? Um, currently, the worst affected area is Silet, which is northeast of Bangladesh and bordering parts of India, specifically Assam and um, Meghalaya. And in the worst hit areas, whole neighbourhoods have been completely submerged. The UN has estimated that over 7 million people have been impacted and the majority of these people are now displaced and many of them find themselves in desperate need of shelter and emergency relief. I understand that you've got friends and family in Silets. Have you been able to speak to them? Um, I do. So my family is originally from Silet, and I still have a lot of my family based there. Um, initially, when the floods began, um, I spoke with one of my cousins that very day and he told me that everything's fine. It was just like a, you know, an everyday, an everyday chat. And literally within an hour after speaking to him, everything had changed. Um, and we couldn't get hold of him and his family for over a week. Where are you? Are you okay? Please call me. We were try- constantly calling, check- trying to get through to their neighbours to see if we could get through to them. And because of the flooding, it had basically cut out all of the electricity. So we couldn't access them through any of the usual platforms that we would access them. I have since then managed to get through to them and they are okay, luckily. What we're seeing now is like week old videos and photos that are coming through because at the time they couldn't send them. There was one particularly distressing video from one of my cousins where it was almost like a farewell video, you know, in case he says like, in case like I don't get to speak to any of you again. God, I'm so sorry. That must just be a a disempowering feeling to have to see that from afar and be like, what can I possibly do to help you? I mean, I think that's the worst part of it. I mean, much like any crisis, if you have family in the country where that specific crisis is taking place, uh, my family migrated to England in the 80s. And one of their main reasons was as a result of climate change. And you're seeing like that many years since the 80s to today. And it's just steadily gotten worse. Like we've already seen the displacement of people and we expect there to be an increase in migration in the next couple of months to years. It's an ongoing situation. And knowing that there's this yearly risk of flooding, have families, including your own, been able to prepare at all? So I would say Bangladeshis are actually very climate aware. Like one of the biggest cyclones to ever take place in history occurred in Bangladesh. Through the many islands on the edge of the Bay of Bengal in East Pakistan, there raged on November the 12th what was simply the worst of the many cyclones the two million people who live here have ever experienced. This was the Bola cyclone that took place in the 1970s. Um, this was the year before Bangladesh was founded. Uh, 400 died from this uh, Chon Mamtas. 
From this place here? Yeah, from this. And, and 300 from this side. From the other side? Yes. A lot of people. And essentially, the lack of help that people received around that cyclone was a big factor in people rising up and demanding change and demanding to be able to create solutions for themselves. And the following year was the year that Bangladesh itself as a country was founded. At the time, it was East Pakistan. These impacts are felt in deeper ways than is visible to the eye. Can you explain why Bangladesh is so particularly vulnerable to flooding? Bangladesh is a relatively very small country with a very large population. The country is approximately the same size as New York State, but we have a population of 168 million people. So you can imagine 168 million people all crammed into this tiny space. It's very low-lying ground. So all the rivers and water that comes down from the Himalayas, for example, all falls into Bangladesh. Um, Bangladesh itself has about 700 rivers, making it particularly vulnerable to flooding during extreme weather events. There's also a lot of unplanned construction. And as a result, water gets obstructed and swells, basically when it rains excessively. And have you been speaking to some scientists who've been able to tell you in more detail about the links between climate change and this flooding? Yes. So I spoke with Farah Sneem and she works for the Department of Disaster Management and Resilience. So climate change is obviously reason behind that, uh, this erratic uh, rainfall. Um, and she spoke a lot about how um, the erratic weather patterns that are directly linked to climate change have become a more regular occurrence in Bangladesh. Um, and instead of having moderate rain spread out through the monsoon season, um, what we're seeing now is long dry periods intermittently with short spells of heavy rains. Half a million Bangladeshis are forced to leave their homes every year and move to the capital, Dhaka. And most of these people end up in the slums. Right. So it's just it's just a really rapid, really extreme impact. Yes. Like they have a department set up to predict these waterfalls and put disaster management strategies in place. But increasingly over the past few years, it's become very difficult for them to do that. So they didn't predict the Silit floods to be this bad. So you can imagine like for the local, like the local population and the people, like just everyday people, the news that they were getting was, you know, this is just going to be everyday business. And it wasn't like that at all. What are the flood defences like? So the Silets actually, where the water came in for the current flooding that we're seeing, the dam, it broke essentially. So all this water was pushing over it and essentially the force of the water opened up the dam and then it all came like flooding into Silet. That's why it, sometimes it's also very unexpected because you have like these mechanisms in place that almost act as a delaying factor. So people think it's under control, but the situation is so drastic that it's, it's almost, it's uncontrollable. You've been speaking to people who've lost their homes to the floods. What kinds of situations are they in now? So you have people like Rita, for example, who were already living in quite terrible conditions. Right now, if, if they're able to move or like stay with a relative, these are the lucky people. For those that don't have that, they're 
basically all living in emergency shelters and you're seeing hundreds up to thousands of families all like living very closely together, sometimes under the same roof. The conditions of these shelters are pretty horrific. There are no proper washrooms um, and often it's one washroom between hundreds of families. So there are no places for women to get changed. There's a lack of hygiene, a lack of security. Hello? And there are aid workers out there trying to help people. What have they told you? Yeah, there are a lot of um, local and international NGOs right now on the ground. But I mean, a lot of Bangladeshis themselves, they're helping out in whatever way they, that they can. As a volunteer for the Bangladesh Rescue Center, my team is leading rescue operation. One of the young women that I spoke with was Amina, who's a volunteer for the Bangladesh Red Crescent. And she's part of a team leading rescue operations um, in Silet. And when the flooding began, Amina's team basically worked throughout the night to reach people in remote areas and bring them safely to shelter. Yesterday I travelled for hours by boat to deliver emergency aid. And they carried small children for those struggling to stay afloat and provided cooked meals, clean drinking water and medicine. How are these aid teams actually reaching people? I can imagine it's a really difficult and possibly very dangerous thing to do. Yes, definitely. Um, Amina mentioned that um, the boat that they've been distributing aid in started going underwater. I thought we might drown, but luckily we were able to move on to another boat and continue our mission. When I started her interview, she was telling me that she's actually afraid of water. So she doesn't swim. Water, heavy rainfall makes her anxious and she tries to avoid volunteering during this time. But because of the situation is what it is right now, she felt compelled to get out there. I mean, she's such a brave girl. I think um, in, all, like, in all of these crisis situations, you see the worst and the best. The families that you've mentioned who had to flee their homes in Silet and move to Dhaka, presumably a lot of them were living in areas with a fair bit of land. They might have been farmers and they've had to go now to a really overcrowded capital city. What are the changes in terms of their lifestyles? It's extreme. If you've been to Bangladesh, Silet is like it has what I describe as like good breathing weather. (laughs) whereas um, Dhaka is the complete opposite and of course especially over the past 10 to 20 years it's become increasingly industrialized so yes I mean first in terms of actual living standards you have people moving from Silet where they have open land they very much eat and live off that land and they suddenly find themselves in slums but it's a complete change to what they're used to Um, and of course a lot of people like don't stay within Bangladesh we have in Bangladesh, we have a very high migration rate. They will go to um, the UAE, for example, or Saudi Arabia. They'll be involved in like in building work or caring roles. So, yeah, they basically find themselves in a very desperate situation where they essentially forced to move. And those hundreds of thousands of people who've been forced to move into shelters, what's the possibility of their being able to go back home after the floods? A lot of Bangladeshis, especially in Silet, they own that land. So that land does belong to them. So it would be if the land is as it sits, they can access it. But of course, it's just destroyed. So um, they basically have to start building it from scratch. 
And you've got family in Salette, as you said, you've been there. What do you think makes people want to carry on living in a place that is so at the mercy of natural disasters? I mean, I might be biased, but I always say Silet is like the best part of Bangladesh. <laughs> it's the greenest green you will ever see. It's very agricultural um, and it smells like agriculture. That's what I would say. It smells like vegetables. <laughs> it smells like, yeah, it's fresh, you know, it's nourishing and it's just so calm. Um, the rivers are beautiful. My uncle once said, like, you know, these rivers that make Bangladesh so beautiful, they're also the same things that causes so much death. Like, you know, we rely on this water for our very livelihoods. Everything around us is sustained by water. But then when the floods come, it's, it's the worst thing. And it causes so much death and so much destruction. Coming up, these floods are caused, at least in part, by the climate crisis. We hear about the young Bangladeshis who are protesting to get world leaders to care. Hello, Faker Others here. This summer, the UK will play host to the Women's Euro Championship. I would say it's going to be a seminal moment, but I have promised my producers that that kind of chat is not going to be allowed on our brand new podcast, The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly. Throughout July, myself, Susie Rack and a bunch of women's football experts will be on hand three times a week to provide instant reaction and analysis from the tournament. We'll be launching with a preview episode on Monday the 4th of July, so make sure to search, subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Daslima, you've been speaking to people in Bangladesh who are organising protests and trying to let the world know how badly the climate crisis is affecting Bangladesh. Can you tell me about the efforts that they're making? Um, so I speak with Nafat Ibshar. Um, I am a student and climate activist from Silet. Young people and old people, everyone's really angry. It's extremely difficult to watch your country go underwater to see your people drown we are still very angry but we have a voice and i wanted us to use it they very much don't see this as something that's their own doing bangladesh is one of the countries that emits the least amount of carbon dioxide but they are also the country that is basically bearing the brunt of the climate crisis at first we felt helpless uh, my friend and I are still at school. So sometimes it feels like there is very little we can do. So when these floods started taking place and they steadily started getting worse, she spoke with her friends um, and Nofat basically arranged a protest a week ago. Um, they're half submerged in water, holding banners. One of them read, up to my neck in the climate crisis. Other banners were calling out COP26 and world leaders. We don't expect much from global leaders uh, as we have become used to their empty promises. Uh, so we are calling for young people in Bangladesh 
to be able to meaningfully participate at decision making level everyone that i spoke to wanted to do something and it didn't really matter what that something looked like but they're not going to sit there and do nothing as their as the entire city goes underwater we can all, always expect cities to show up especially during a crisis and without immediate action countries like bangladesh won't survive Taslima, it's not only in Bangladesh that the impacts of climate change are being felt so severely. But as you said, the countries that are among the hardest hit are also among the lowest emitters. What does that tell us about where the global climate divide is right now? I mean, I think what we're seeing right now is an example of one of the most shocking inequalities of our times, which is climate injustice. Um, the average Bangladeshi emits about 0.56 tonnes of carbon dioxide compared to 14.24 tonnes for the average American. And you see developing countries bearing the brunt of it. They're slow to act in terms of like implementing plans that would make things easier for countries like Bangladesh um, because they don't feel the immediate effects or don't, they don't feel it as desperately. Deslima, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Thaslima Begum. You can read her reporting on the crisis in Bangladesh at theguardian.com. And while you're there, I recommend George Monbiot's recent column on climate inequality. It's called, There's a Simple Way to Unite Everyone Behind Climate Justice, and It's Within Our Power. Today's episode was produced by Alex Atak and Tom Glasser, and sound designed by Rudy Zagadlo. Our executive producers are Elizabeth Cassin and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 